On this week's episode of Life and Lessons, I talk about why your goals should be malleable, the power of repetition, and I share the lessons that I learned from losing a two and a half thousand pound watch. Hey, what is going on? Welcome to this episode number 137 of Life and Lessons. I'm Sean Spooner, and if you're new here, here's what you need to know. This podcast is the place where I tell the story of growing a business, of growing as a person, and of taking on some fairly unusual challenges, sometimes on my own and sometimes joined by the most interesting people I know. The only thing that's guaranteed with this podcast is that every time you press play, you're going to learn something new. And it's late right now. It is five past 11 on Thursday night. I have just this second got to the office and set up the podcast set up ready to record this to go out on time for once because it feels like all of the solo episodes for the last few weeks have either been um, late or missed or delayed because life is just hectic right now. But despite the fact that it's late, despite the fact that I've just spent the last three and a half ish hours doing a dark and a wet drive back from Rothwell to Wales. I had to think where I was there. It's one of those weeks. Um, we're going to get it done on time. And hopefully you're listening to this on Friday morning and you're thinking, good, he's managed to get a solo episode out on time for once. Um, but if not, whatever time it is, hello, hope you're well. Hope you've had a good uh, few days since we last spoke like this. I can't say a good week because I released the last episode on Monday, which was very late, but nonetheless, hope you're well. Um, this might be a quick one. This might be a rushed one, but there are a few things I want to uh, talk to you about, share with you. But just before then, a little quick update on how this week has been. It's actually been a very productive, a very focused week. This is the first week that I can remember in months since probably like before the summer where I've had no travel. I've had literally zero meetings or calls. Um, nothing's gone wrong. Nothing's gone unexpectedly. And then there haven't been big things like the house move or any of these kind of larger life projects going on to the point where I've just kind of woken up each morning, gone and stood outside to get some sunlight, was having a coffee, got ready, did a really solid chunk of work, gone for a walk in the evening, listened to an audiobook, and then chilled and gone to bed. <laughs> it's a very uneventful week, but actually really nice to have a week like this where for as much as I enjoy, you know, meetings and intense weeks and travel, um, there is a necessity through both the need to get more work done, but also just to chill out every now and then to have these kind of weeks where really nothing eventful happens. And this has been one of those weeks where it's been fairly unremarkable until actually, funny story, about five hours ago. So as you'll know, uh, if you listened to last week's episode, uh, I was in Germany and Switzerland last week on Thursday and Friday. And um, we were in Switzerland to go and see Ed Sheeran, stayed in a hotel in Switzerland, uh, saw Ed, packed up the next morning, left Switzerland, jumped on the train to Germany, got back to the UK on Saturday. So like a week ago, right? Um, and I kind of just put my bag, which I bring back with me to Wales, which was my hand luggage from the flight. I just kind of stuck it in the corner of my bedroom, right? I took my laptop out, took the bits out I needed, stuck the bag over there. And I thought I'll deal with that. I'll pack it back up again because obviously I removed a lot from the bag because I was about to get on a flight. 
I'll deal with that when I go back to Wales. And so <laughs> there I was this afternoon dealing with that, packing the bag, sorting everything out. And I have this little mental checklist that I go through before I leave uh, Corby or before I leave Wales, where I just make sure I have all the stuff I need, right? Laptop charger, Apple Watch charger, phone charger, earphones, keys, wallet, all of this like basic stuff, right? And it struck me just as I was um, about to leave the house, right? Because normally these days I wear an Apple Watch um, and it's just, it stays on me at all times. Um, I don't wear like the G-Shocks that I bought. I don't really wear any other watches. Um, but it struck me that I hadn't seen the watch that I wear every now and then <laughs> for a little while. And I thought, oh, that's unusual. So I looked around my room and I thought, no, actually, I don't remember taking out of the bag because all I took out of the bag when I got back to the UK was the laptop and that's plugged in over there and the bag's just been sat in the corner. So I kind of looked around in the corner. There's not much there because I've just moved into this house. It's a fairly empty bedroom, right? There's no clutter or mess. So I could see quite clearly that the watch wasn't there. Um, so I checked in the bag, like all the little side compartments and stuff. And I thought, right, <laughs> it's two and a half grand watch isn't there. Can't find it. So I, um, I tried to retrace where it last was. And I know of absolute certain that it was on my wrist on the Friday night as I walked into the hotel from um, Ed, right? And I also know for a fact that if it wasn't in my bag, it didn't leave that hotel. So I'm like, shit, okay. Somehow, six days ago, I left this fairly expensive watch in a hotel in Switzerland. <laughs> I'm going to assume it's not there. Um, but nonetheless, I phoned the hotel and they went through their normal process. They checked the notes on the room for that stay. They checked the little lost property drawer and stuff. And sure enough, as it happens, the, the watch that was very much left in that room didn't make it out of that room reported. And I assume that somebody who works in housekeeping in that hotel has just had a nice bonus, right? And there's a reason I tell you this, other than the fact that it's just a funny story that I've managed to spend six days not realizing that I'd lost the watch because I don't wear it that much these days anyway. But I think what was most interesting about that is I talk a lot in this podcast about detaching your sense of meaning or self-worth or place in this world from valuables, from possessions, right? I talk about the fact that if you build your personality, if you build who you are as a person, if you build what you can offer this world around the stuff you own, that's a really terrible way to live for a bunch of reasons that I won't go into. You can just scroll and listen to basically any other episode and you'll find my reasons for that. But secondly, I speak a lot about this idea of stoicism. I've been listening a lot recently to Ryan Holiday's podcast, The Daily Stoic, and trying to just understand more of these stoic mindsets because they are sprawling and there's lots to learn. And it's, it's easier said than done to implement these ideas into your life because they challenge you. But the one that has always stuck with me ever since I read Darren Brown's book, Happy, is this idea that there are only two things that you can control in this life. And those two things are your thoughts and your actions, right? And so to allow your, uh, your internal emotions or how you feel or how you perceive the world to be guided by anything external, anything you can't control, anything which isn't your thoughts or your actions is a terrible idea, right? So there's these two things. The idea that I think building your personality around possessions is bad. And this idea that allowing things outside of your control to upset you is bad, right? And it's easy. It's so easy for me to sit on here and say this stuff, right? And not live it. But <laughs> the, the, the losing of the watch, the realizing that this 
expensive possession, which holds a slight personal significance as well, right? It was essentially on my wrist every day for like three and a half, four years since I bought it. Like it's it's traveled through life with me. It's been in every meeting. It's been on every date. It's been in every awkward situation. It has uh, like my dad, when he lived at home, he was the one who brought it up when it arrived in the post and brought it up to me and he like tried it on his wrist. Like it does have some um, sentimental significance, but ultimately it's just a fucking expensive possession, right? Which adds nothing to me as a person and which adds nothing to the world. And so weirdly, it was reassuring as almost like a, a test of how far I've come down this path of actually sticking to the things I say. When I realized it wasn't in the bag and uh, I text Chloe and I'm like, do you remember what our hotel room number was? And she's like, why? And I explained. And literally my text, I explained what I'd lost. And I was like, oh, well, that was literally the words I said. I'm like, oh, well. And then I phoned the hotel and they're like, yeah, we don't have it. And I'm like, okay, no problem. Have a good day. And um, it's weird. I'm not sure if it'll, it'll annoy me more as I try and retrace my steps and work out where on earth in the room it could be or something. But ultimately, it's it's just assuring that despite <laughs> despite the two and a half thousand pound accident, of seemingly leaving this watch in a hotel room. Um, the experience of losing it has validated that actually I didn't care to have it that much anyway, um, which is almost in itself a value shift, right? The fact that I spent that money on a watch a few years ago told me that at that point in time, my values aligned more closely with the idea of buying expensive possessions. Whereas, I mean, even look at the fact that it took me six days to realize that it wasn't there because this green Apple watch, which is like, two and a half years old and is like the basic model anyway, because this is the thing that's been on my wrist that whole time, because I haven't had a, a wanting to wear the expensive thing for six days. It took me that long to even realize that it wasn't there, but then also just to know that I kind of felt okay when it wasn't there, that I have no sudden urge to go out and buy another watch or buy another expensive possession. Um, just an interesting and really unexpected lesson from something that at least from the outside looking in, would have theoretically annoyed me, but didn't. So there's that. Um, and then the second thing I've been thinking about is as you listen to this today, if you're listening on Friday, so the day this podcast comes out, today it is exactly 100 days until the 1st of January 2023. And so as I do, I mean, I, there's literally inside of the notes app on my laptop and on my phone, there is a pinned note at the top and it is called... 2022 goals. And it's the document that I created back in the middle of December last year when I was in Dublin. And there are work goals, family goals, health goals, side project goals, which is essentially this podcast, wellness, giving, which is like direct debits for charity and volunteering, although I never got around to that clearly, uh, income and savings, and then other goals, which is kind of shit that I added to as I went, right? 100 days to go until the end of the year, which means that those goals are about, what, 265-ish days old. Now, when we zoom out and look at life, um, whether it's an academic year, whether it's between turning 24 and 25, as this podcast originally was going to be, like a year seems like a really small period of time. You can almost definitely remember what you were doing this time last year. And if you reflect, you probably think that you were a very similar person this time last year, right? You probably think that you're the same person. Not a lot has changed. Uh, this thing I was talking about a few weeks ago that I learned from James Smith's book, the, the end of history illusion, this idea that we believe that how far we have so far come 
in personal development is almost like an upper limit and that we're not going to progress or change anymore. And we're at our like most actualized self right now. And it's called an illusion, the end of history illusion, because it's not true. Right. Um, but I look at those goals and I won't read them out because I didn't read them out at the time, but from the work goals, like there are patter projects, which were important in my mind, 265 days ago that frankly right now are not. And indeed there are things in the business right now, which are important, which weren't even on the horizon when that list was made with the family stuff. I mean, there are things which are just have been out of my control. There are things like the the house move of my mum, which I didn't even know was going to happen. There's the idea of um, like trying to spend more time with my brother, for example. He literally lives on the other side of the fucking planet now. Like that can't happen. So I look at all of these things and I'm like, okay, actually most of the goals in that section either won't happen this year, can't happen this year, or the priority has changed. Something has changed. Similarly with health, right? I mean, some of these are relevant, like the the good food choices thing. Um, I have an absolute banger of a shopping list from Audi and it costs like 20 pounds a week and it is a really uh, protein heavy, but macro balanced, slight calorie deficit breakfast and lunch, which I think from the, the, the ounce of um, nutritional knowledge I have is really well balanced, right? So I'm doing things like that consistently. That's good. But then visiting the gym three times a week, following a certain program. Have I done that? If you average it out, maybe, because I did the like 45 days of 75 hard and before that I was doing the three days a week, but then recently I haven't been. Is that a priority? Is that still values that, that align with what I'm aiming for? Kind of yes, kind of no. I won't bore you the details right now, but you get the idea. Similarly with tracking sleep, I gave up on that maybe 50 days into the year. Um, the data I was getting it just wasn't in any way useful or actionable. Um, and more often than not, I would have pulled the sleep tracker off of my finger where it sat and just not got data for the night anyway. Um, this podcast stuff, I mean, we're kind of getting there. The YouTube views number I will hit, uh, the number of guest episodes mm, I might hit just about give or take. Um, the point I'm making without going through this entire list is it's interesting that not even a year after I created this comprehensive, exhaustive list of everything that I wanted to get done this year. When I, I sat for a whole day in isolation in a hotel room with the input of nobody, right? And I sat and I pondered and I thought, and as you know, I followed Rick Pastor's grip methodology, which to this day, I still say is incredible, right? I'm not discrediting his process. I'm just in some ways discrediting some of the answers that I came up with, or at least exploring the idea that maybe, and this is something for me to consider as I move into the the period of life beyond this, where, you know, in 90 odd days, I'm going to be back in that hotel room in the same hotel in Dublin at the same time of the year doing this review process again. Is it a good idea to create goals for an entire year? Or maybe as a sub question to that, should there be more of a review and adaptation process around these goals? Because like I say, there, there are things in this list which just won't happen because they were stretch goals. There are things in this list which I don't care to happen because they're just no longer relevant. And there are things which aren't in this list, which are huge wins, which are uh, massive shifts forward in life that are really worthwhile that weren't even on the horizon when this came about. And so I think that's why it's interesting because a year doesn't seem long right? Because when we review a year, we zoom out and we look at the the four or five big things that happened that year. You know, the holiday, the moving house, the 
the breakup, the, I don't know, the mortgage, whatever it might be. We look at the milestones and we're like, cool, they are the things that happened this year. That, that was life. But as I've spoken about before on here quite a bit, actually, I disagree with that assessment of what life is. And this is why I talk about things like uh, finding ways to make your everyday existence more comfortable, more meaningful, because actually life isn't those big things. Life is what kind of fills the gaps around those big things, right? Life is everything but the big achievements. And when you have 365 days worth of life pieced together day after day, all with their own goings on, all with their own conversations, all with content that you consume on that day that changes your mindset or something unexpected, good or bad that happens, right? And you stitch that together 365 times in a row. Of course, your goals will change. Of course, my goals have changed. And I mean, there's, there's not a great profound point of telling you any of this other than to just kind of open up that can of worms as I begin slowly to conclude this year, as we all are, and eventually review and plan next year. Um, it's just interesting that I've looked at this, uh, this note on my laptop fairly frequently, easily once a month, probably more often than that. And it's interesting because although there's 20 or so items on that list, even as early on as like March, April, I was kind of looking down it and I was drawn more to some items on it than others, right? Some I'd be like, oh, I really need to do X thing. Whereas others I just get past. And it's interesting that even at that point, even that early on in the year, when those items were less than a hundred days old, I was already kind of like, yeah, but it's okay if I don't hit that. But, but that one no longer aligns with my values. That's not what I want to do with my life. That thing's no longer important to me. And maybe this is related to the previous point on the watch, right? Like our values are the thing that dictate everything we do in life and all of the decisions we make. And they change. We think that our values are uh, guiding principles that are with us forever, but actually they're, I think, very malleable and they, they shift often. And so that's interesting because change isn't necessarily just something that that you enact in some ways change is something that happens to you right um to, to visit the most recent examples that i've spoken about over the last few weeks my brother moving to the other side of the planet although it's a good decision for him it, it skews things in that list because it's something that happened to me right i couldn't have seen that on the horizon the big house move and the the positives that that has brought for my mum are almost in a sense, although I'm the one who instigated the house move and worked through the whole process and sorted out the move, like that whole thing kind of happened to me, at least in the sense that I couldn't in December when I made this list have had the foresight to be like, right, that's going to happen so I can plan for it. And so it's just interesting. I think what I'm getting at here is I'm having, as I reflect on this year, a slight paradigm shift as to what does or does not constitute a good goal, or rather maybe how frequently goals should be revisited and how comfortable I should be with dismissing goals the moment they feel like they're not relevant and not thinking I'm losing rights. It's hard to let go of a goal because there's a very thin line between letting go of a goal because it no longer actually aligns with you and letting go of a goal because you think you won't hit it anyway. So you just give yourself the easy way out and be like, oh yeah, my values have changed. So I'm not going to hit that goal. They seem like very similar things, but actually I think in your gut somewhere, you know the nuanced difference between whether the goal applies to you or not anymore. Um, and then the third and the final, and this one's very random, but it just popped into my head when I was driving. The third thing I want to tell you about just very quickly is that 
that drive I just did to Wales that I told you about, it was a three and a half hour drive. If you include the little stop that I do in the M50, M5 services, it was dark. It was wet. My windscreen was covered in fucking bird shit from the tree that I parked outside of the, uh, the last few nights. And I cleaned off for the most part, but there was a couple of bits on it, right? Um, my tire, which is getting replaced tomorrow, makes this annoying noise. I'm told it's not dangerous, but it's just bloody annoying, right? By all measurements, it wasn't the best drive ever, right? It was wet. There was water on the road. The roads through Wales after the border are just dark and winding. It would have been considered a tough drive. However, and this is really interesting, a song came on shuffle, a song by Wiley, about an hour before the end of the drive which was the first song I listened to in the car on my own when I got my first car just under two years ago. And it was in the car park out here at the office. And it was broad daylight, good weather, like a fair day in October. (laughs) And I drove the car from the car park here, round the back road here and to the train station car park and back round. And I was listening to that song and I was shitting myself. Like this 20 mile an hour drive was terrifying because I was on my own in a car for the first time and there was no instructor to tell me not to do something. There was nobody looking out for me. There was nobody saying this is the right way to do it. And so with that new responsibility, with that new requirement to do the thing on my own and do it properly, whilst that song was the soundtrack to it, and that's why it always sticks in my mind, it was terrifying, right? Couldn't do it. Massive, massive deal. And then if you listened to the episode just after I passed my driving test, you'll know that my examiner gave me a fairly easy ride. And so for a good few months after I passed my driving test, there was this doubt in my mind as to whether I should have passed or not. There was this doubt in my mind as to whether I was actually a competent driver. And I think that kind of caused this, this slight driving related anxiety. That's the best way I can describe it, where I was just very nervous and very twitchy when it came to driving like I'd refuse to drive on new roads without like doing it first in great weather and all this stuff right less than two years later driving down the road at 70 miles an hour no more and uh, listening to that song in the dark in the rain on bendy roads on my own the song was the same right the action was the same, if not far more difficult. And yet the emotions, the kind of undertone of how I felt about it were entirely different. And the reason that was so interesting as I was driving and as I had this realization is because I did nothing profound to change how I felt about that situation, right? I didn't have to go through some like cognitive behavioral therapy to to realize that I'm okay to drive. I didn't have to sit down and have an intervention with myself. I didn't have to buy some crazy course or stop driving or do more lessons or have an instructor with me, right? The thing just became normalized through repetitions, the the act of driving in increasingly difficult situations, whilst my feeling towards it was more and more subdued and calm, was only achieved through just doing the thing over and over again. And I, of course, talk about this concept a lot on the podcast, right? The fact that you just need to do the thing before you're ready maybe not when driving, maybe only drive on your own when you are ready and qualified, but you get the point, right? You just need to do the thing over and over and over again. And eventually it becomes normal. 137 episodes into sitting down and monologuing at a camera. I can do this for half an hour and it's easy. The first episode, like I spoke about the other week, it was not easy, but it can feel very conceptual when I talk about that. It can feel 
like, oh, it's easy for you to say because you've done X or you've done Y or, but it's different for me because I have Z thing, right? But if you drive, think about how you now drive. Think about how second nature it is. Think about how easy it is, how confident you are, how much your ability has improved since the day you first got behind the wheel, since the day you first passed your test, since that first time you sat in that driver's seat on your own and you had to do it by yourself, right? It will be night and day. And yet what have you done to change that, right? What crazy course have you been on? What intervention have you had? What what kind of conversation have you had to have with somebody? Nothing. You've got there solely through doing the thing over and over again. And so the reason that song connected those two memories and seemed quite profound to me is because this idea of just doing the thing, like I say, is quite conceptual. It feels quite abstract, but actually in our lives, we have this proof. We have these case studies that we can all look at, whether it's driving. And if you don't drive, it will be riding a bike. And if you don't ride a bike, then it will be something else for you, right? We have these things where we can, because we have proven to ourselves that to improve and be more confident and be more competent in something, you just need to do it over and over again. And when it comes to speaking on stage or when it comes to getting the number of somebody across a bar or when it comes to asking for a pay rise in work, that feels scary and difficult and wrong. And yet when it comes to everything that we have so far done in life to prove that it's possible, we forget that it is the exact same thing. So there we go. That is my last random unrelated thought of the evening. It is half past midnight, half past 11, sorry, now, not quite midnight. Hopefully I'll be out of here by midnight. That is all I have. Uh, there will not be a guest next week, mainly because I have not got around to booking more guests. It has been incredibly busy in the business. Um, the Ali and the Paul episodes, maybe the next guest episodes. I don't know. I might be able to squeeze in a couple more bookings between now and then. Um, actually one of my PR contacts has just sent me a brochure of their new releases and there are a couple of really interesting authors in there. So maybe there'll be guests before then. I don't know. But either way, next week will be another solo episode. I know that much for sure. Um, and so I guess that's when I'll see you. Thank you as always for listening. I hope you have a good week and I'll see you back here this time next week for episode number 138 of Life and Lessons. See you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.